Happy National Sandwich Month. This is Liz, and here's what Popping Collars is baking up for your podcast feed in the month of August 2022. You're used to us serving up the traditional wrap of religion, hiding in pop culture. But this month, we flip all of that around when we talk about our favorite popular representations of church and faith. We've added some garnish to our latest episode of The Canon when our brand new panel of guests draft their favorite movie musicals. Going on 30 comes with an extra slice of cheese this month when Betsy and Greg look back at the melodramatic classic The Prince of Tides. Greg is looking back on his Camino de Santiago journey with special guest Ryan Parker on this month's Sacred Six. The two of them chew on the physically hardest crust of the Camino Trail when they talk about the region of Basque Country and Navarre. Finally, the Popping Collars Book Club is back this month as Ricardo and I grill the latest books we've been reading. Thanks to listening to the PBNJ of Episcopal Podcasts that keeps the chips on the side and the collars popped. Do you want to host? I always host, Liz. I know, but I thought that was because you like to. I do like to, but but I'm feeling self-conscious about how much I talk, remember? You don't talk too much. I promise. Do you not want to host? I don't. Well, it sounds like you have like a thing you want to talk about. Oh, I'll, I'll talk about, I have two topics. Okay. I think you should host for that reason. And I'll just jump in. And then I have a recommendation. Okay, if Greg keeps this in, listeners, I want to say next time Liz has to host. <laughs> okay, I will. I promise. Okay. Well, hello there, and welcome to our Popping Collars spinoff, the satellite mini podcast called Popping Collars Book Club or PC Book Club, or as we like to say, PCBC. PCBC. CBC. My name is Ricardo Avila. I am the rector of St. Luke's Los Gatos in California. And with me is my co-host of this mini podcast. Please introduce yourself. Hi, Ricardo. I'm Liz Easton, and I am the canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of Nebraska. I, I have a confession to make, but I think it's true for most people who are on Zoom. I find myself looking at myself and trying to get myself with the best angle so my double chin doesn't show and the best lighting and, you know, try to get the glare from the light that's on me out of my glasses. And so you do that too, huh? Oh, absolutely. It is like um, Narcissus staring into the water. And I've, I've wondered a lot. I know that you can take away that window where you see yourself in the settings. I don't know how, but it is possible because I have wondered what will be like the cumulative psychological impact of looking at yourself for two and a half years straight when we went from a position where like you had to go out of your way to look at yourself. You had to look in a mirror. Now right. it's just like every meeting that I'm in You're right. I see myself. Yeah. So like my hair, like what is even going on with my hair right now? Yeah. This lighting is always great. Well, thank you. It's just overhead lighting in my office. Oh man, look at that! Yeah, I—that's I, a good point about the about the two and a half years of looking at yourself. I actually think I look better than I thought I did, so it's actually a positive for me. That's good. <laughs> yeah, especially since I can do my little head angle thing and uh, work that out. 
yeah, I'm not a photogenic person. So I hate, I recently, uh, we did a project where we had a film crew with us and they just like made a little documentary about it. And it, I was so self-conscious seeing myself in video. Oh yeah. Like my, the way my mouth moves when I talk, I, it's uncomfortable. Oh, wow. You get down to the level of your mouth movements. That's pretty. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know why this, I brought this topic up just kind of thinking about it. There are times when like, I'll ask, Hey, let's take a photo and I'll be in the photo and they'll be like, they'll take one and they'll say, Oh, let's take a few more. And I'll be like, it's because I don't look good in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, good Lord. Anyway. This is why this is a podcast that is audio only. <laughs> That's right. You don't get to see us. That's right. So welcome to Popping Collars uh, Book Club, PCBC. And uh, we're going to recommend a few books for you uh, for your end of summer, beginning of fall reading pleasure. Because really, there is no season to reading. It is year round, isn't it? It is. Um, before we do our recommendations, I have a couple of topics I wanted to bring up. I might become a bit of a therapy session. I don't know. I'm having a little struggle with listening to audiobooks. You mentioned that on the last episode of the podcast. What's going on? Well, I've listened to a few audiobooks recently. I can't even remember what they were. And I felt like I didn't really get a sense of the book. And for whatever reason, like partway through, I thought, you know, I've got to read this. I just need to stop. So one of them was White Teeth, I do remember, by Zadie Smith. Mm -hmm. And so I was listening to that, listening to that. Maybe I was listening too fast at too fast a speed. But then I thought, you know, I'm losing the sense of the kind of the Dickensian kind of carnivalesque, lots of characters feeling of this, partly because I've had to stop and start, um, but also because it just whizzes by. And so I returned that audiobook to the library, and now it's the book sitting on my shelf. I don't know when I'll get to it. So I have this vague dissatisfaction, um, and it's happened with a few. The Known World, which I did finish, but had such a long break between having to, you know, you have to return when it's due, and then you wait a while to get it back. I don't know. So um, the W.E.B. Du Bois, the love songs of W.E.B. Du Bois I started listening to. Well, that's such a long book. It is. I will not check out an audiobook that is that long. Right, right. So all that's to say, I'm just having a little little uh, identity crisis as an audiobook listener. Uh, I've gotten to the point where I've decided not to renew my Audible subscription. Ooh. And uh, yeah, I mean, for a little while, I have so many books that are unlistened to that I have like 40 plus. Sure. And so I'm going to go through those uh, before I think of renewing. But Audible has all these free things in their plus catalog. So I'm trying to listen to all of the ones that I have kind of put into my library uh, before I delete my subscription in October. Anyway, that is a long way of saying audiobooks, I just don't know. Um, but I don't have time to read, read. And I have a long commute, 40 minutes each way each day. Mm -hmm. So I might just turn to podcasts or I might just try to whittle down what I already have. I've said this on this podcast before probably multiple times but um i for me not every book lends itself to audiobook format i mean I, for me like i think it does for lots of people but that and that mainly is literary fiction like i can't if the language is especially beautiful if the themes are complex i can't listen to it on audiobook because even when i'm 
like say like on a long road trip, if I'm listening to an audio book, I'm engaged with it, but I have such like a busy, anxious mind that there's a whole other thing happening in my brain at the same time. So if it is really good writing, I want to read it in a physical book. So I tend to pick very plot driven audiobooks like mysteries and thrillers, um, nonfiction, like really good narrative nonfiction. I kind of feels like listening to a really long podcast. And recently I've been reading um, these, I don't know what genre these books would be in. They're just like light, probably like women's contemporary fiction that is, um, has the, plot driven aspect that a thriller typically have only it's not violent. <laughs> it's more relational. So I've been listening to those audiobooks. but yeah, if it's a serious book, I'm going to read it with my eyes. That actually brings me to the second topic I wanted to bring up. But first of all, I want to say, Liz, I have a college, an old college friend. Uh, her name is Lauren Fox, L-A-U-R-E-N and then F-O-X. And uh, she's a good writer. And I don't want to say that she would be in that category, what you were just saying, um, kind of women, writer, fast plot, easy uh-huh. reading. But <clears throat> she came out with a book recently. I think it's called Find Me. And it's historically based. She found some letters from her grandmother uh, and um, wove a story. And her, mo- uh, her grandmother, I think, was, was leaving Europe, uh, fleeing the Nazi stuff that was going on in Africa when it happened. Uh, I haven't read the book, but I know Lauren and it was well received. She was on like TV shows and stuff even, which was exciting for all of us friends of hers, of course. So Lauren Fox, Find Me is a book I think I'd recommend. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on a related note, um, the other thing I wanted to discuss, and this will lead into my, my choice, my selection, the audiobooks that have been working for me lately are autobiographies and autobiographies of sort of cultural people, you know, yeah. either actors or whatever. And so um, I listened to uh, Viola Davis's autobiography, Finding Me, and it was good. It was intense. <laughs> she had a rough bringing up and some real. I didn't know that she wrote um, an autobiography or a memoir. Yeah, it just came out um, earlier this year. Oh, cool. It's good. She's so. Like as an actress, I mean, I don't see many movies, but as an actress, she's always kind of riveting. She reads the audiobook as well. And so she's oh. such a great actress that, you know, you really feel the story. So that's intense. Viola Davis is finding me. And then I listen to uh, the book that I'm going to recommend, but I'll not talk about it yet. Uh, Frank Bruni, writer for the New York Times, it's called The Beauty of Dusk. And it's about what happened to him when he woke up one day and had a stroke in the middle of the night and realized that most of his sight was gone from his right eye. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then the third thing I listened to is it's, it's, I call it an autobiography in essays. David Sedaris is happy go lucky, right? It's the latest one that's come out. You know, people talk about, I laughed out loud, blah, blah, blah. Well, I actually did. <laughs> he is so funny. Yeah, I laughed out loud like two or three times. And that doesn't happen with me with reading, you know. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm listening to the autobiography of Janice Ian. She is a singer from like the 60s and 70s. The book name of the book is Society's Child. Her big hit was At 17, which might be a little before your time, Liz. Yeah. Learn the truth. It's oh, no, I've heard that song. Yeah. Oh, man, that's a great song. Yeah. So she's interesting. I'm in the middle of that right now. So all that's to say, um, 
autobiographies, I think, kind of work if they're not too boring, you know. Mm-hmm. And these are not. Um, so I'll just give you my recommendation. So okay. Frank, Frank Bruni is a writer for the New York Times uh, and has been for decades. Now he's sort of semi-retired from there. He does contribute. And I think he, he teaches at, oh, goodness, who knows, Duke University, I want to say. So he wrote a book called The Beauty of Dusk, which I think is a, a great title for a book. And um, what he writes about is, so I forget how old he was, but he was in his 50s. And he woke up one day, had had a stroke in the middle of the night and didn't realize it, had some blindness in his right eye that got worse and worse. And then they finally figured out that it was a stroke. And to this day, I think there's still the concern that even the left eye might get affected. Um, But that whole experience um, kind of plunged him into a little bit of a depression, but also into an assessment of like how, how blind he's been basically in life, how he doesn't realize so much that goes around on around him, you know, that, that because he's had to slow down and be more careful, he actually notices more things. It's really well written. And a lot of it, especially the second half, he goes into all these amazing stories of other people who went blind or had other, other things happen and the amazing things they've done. It's like a completely blind guy from like history. I almost want to say like the early, like from the 19th century or something or the early 20th who actually climbed mountains, you know, and like climbed all seven mountains and was blind and wrote travel books. Like, and he would describe the things he saw in quotes, you know, it's that idea of sometimes you have to go blind in order to see that, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess it's a cliche, but it's really true. And he writes beautifully about it. Um, And the thing that I loved about it the most is that, he tells this, he talks about how he starts seeing the suffering of others in ways he hadn't noticed. So he's got something happening in his life that's harsh and intense. And then he realizes just from little things people say in conversations, almost everyone's got something going on. Mm. You know, my mother's in the hospital or she's in a nursing home and I don't know what to do. And, you know, my cousin died. And so all these things, and he he has this idea that what would what what would it be like if we all walked around with sandwich boards that had our particular trauma or mm. the things that you know kind of inform who we are like you know lost my father at a young age and had a bicycle accident and still can't walk right etc and how maybe we'd have more compassion for each other and we'd be more forgiving of other people's outbursts and and such and i've already used that in a sermon mm. um, but it's it's about what he calls a misery filter. We filter out the misery of the world uh, because it's too much, first of all, and we've got our own stuff to deal with, but that his blindness uh, paradoxically took away the misery filter and he could see more and have more compassion. So I love that because it's an autobiography that actually teaches me something. Mm -hmm. So I recommend The Beauty of Dusk by Frank Bruni. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. I feel like there's been a lot more writing in the last couple of years about disability, whether it is something that is like uh, genetic and, uh, you know, a born disability, I guess, or uh, like a chronic disease or illness, whether physical or mental, but then also things like that that happen over the course of your life that, um, 
lead to disability that you didn't have previously. And I'm glad that that's a type of representation that we don't often have. There's still a lot of shame, I think, around those struggles and, or we like categorize it like this person uses a wheelchair. So I know everything I need to know about that, or this person, you know, lost a limb or whatever, but there's so much intersection. And like you said, everybody's dealing with something. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, That is one thing about being a parish priest that does um, allow insight is, wow, really? I thought you had it all together. You come (laughs) to me and, you know, you're having marital problems or whatever. Right. Um, well, I have a tendency, and I don't think that this is unusual for people, but of idealizing everybody. Like, I just assume everybody has their stuff together, and I'm the, and I don't. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you'll have those moments where you realize, like, oh, I either was not seeing what was going on right in front of me, or this person was concealing it, or it was just none of my business, so they didn't share it. Yeah, I think that is so common to think like I have a problem or I'm not all together. Everybody else is. And we're all just broken and messy. We are are all broken and messy. Um, I I agree with everything you just said, and you are not alone in that, uh, in that perspective. Just continuing the therapy session theme here. Uh, Some of it is just like Mm self-esteem. I don't want to, you know, categorize you, but it's just like, well, everyone must be doing this better than I am. And it's time after time, I'm like, whoa, they did not have it together. And yes. I assume they did. And I spent all this energy telling myself, come on, get it together so you can be like them. Yeah. And lo and behold, um, I actually find that in the priesthood kind of a lot. Oh, it's, yeah. It's not a bad thing. I mean, you can be broken. It's not a judgment thing. But I think the judgment is when you judge yourself based on what you see about other people and then realize that they actually are barely holding it together. Or something, even though they seem to have a great, um, you know, a lot of people going there, they have a good choir or a children's program or whatever. So I think the lesson is just you, know, you got to do your own thing. And yeah. don't, don't compare yourself to other people. Well, and don't mistake humility and low self-esteem. Like true, like humility as a spiritual virtue is not the same thing as feeling bad about yourself. It's, it's actually, uh, seeing things clearly and accurately, right. Your own self in relationship to others in an accurate way. Right. Right. Well said. That's a good distinction. Yeah. Humility and self-esteem are not the same thing. Right. Well, we can credit my therapist on for that. Oh, I was going to say, you might, you might want to become a spiritual director. (laughs) One day I'm too young. I'm too young to be a spiritual director. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway. So that is my selection. How about you? That's awesome. So my selection is quite different in that it's a novel, but I love your recommendations of memoir. I like memoirs and I think that they make great audiobooks. So um and I just ordered one. I was I I was like back, like I had extra book of the month credits. Mm-hmm. And one of my um goal, my what so my total reading goal for this year was to read 50 books. And then, but I wanted 15 of those to be nonfiction because last year I just read fiction. So I was kind of backed up on book of the month. I had some extra credit. So I went through their um, nonfiction catalog to add a couple books to my next shipment, which will come soon. And one that I found was a book I'd never heard of before. So this isn't a recommendation because I haven't read it, but it was in line with what you talked about called um, After the Eclipse. And it's a story of a, 
I think it's a memoir of a woman whose mother died when she was, when the author was very young and it happened to be around the time of a total solar eclipse. So she always connected those two things in her life. And then as an adult, she sort of basically investigates her own mother's murder and tries to understand um, what happened. So I'll let you know. It sounds good though. But the book that I'm recommending is a novel. I'm going to pull it up on my screen. You know, every year on this podcast, we review the New York Times, like best books of the year. And I think the last time we did this, I may have even said out loud next year, I hope that I have read more books on this list. So I sort of decided to pay a little bit better attention to book reviews and just see like if through my own intuition and like stretching what I'm reading, if I could anticipate a book on that list. And I would not be surprised if this book is on the list. It's currently a finalist for the Man Booker Award, even though it's written by an American author. But the book is called Trust by Hernan Diaz. And his book In the Distance was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in 2017. But this book, Trust, was written in 2022. And I've been trying to think of how to describe it without giving anything away, like without spoilers, because the experience of reading it was pretty, um, the connections that you had to make by the end of the book were like kind of mind blowing. So I don't want to ruin that, the fun of that. But basically, it's a book in four parts. And the, and you don't know this going into it, but so I'm not, any review would say what I'm about to say, so I'm not ruining it, Mm -hmm. but the first part of the book is itself a short book. And it is a novel about a, um, a guy working in finance in the early part of the 20th century, basically, um, right before the stock market crash and then in the years just after. And it's sort of this um, drama, gossipy drama about this guy and the, and his wife. And it makes all kinds of claims about them, including like accusing the man who works in finance for basically engineering the Great Depression. And then his wife goes off to a sanatorium and it's like this whole kind of dr- dramatic thing. And then that book just ends. And you're kind of like, huh, that's weird. Turn the page. The next section is um, basically notes about a memoir, notes making up a memoir. And as you read through it, you realize that the story being told in this memoir is similar to the book you just read, but different in some key ways. The third part is yet another book written from the perspective of a woman who's now elderly reflecting on her job as a very young woman being a ghostwriter for a guy working in finance in New York. So again, you kind of like you start piecing together, like where's the true story. And then the fourth and final part of the book are journal entries from the wife of the finance guy. So between all these four stories, you finally get kind of a full picture of these capitalists (laughs) in New York in the early and middle 20th century. The structure of the book is just genius. I don't want to give too much of it away, but it was um, confusing by design 
And then slowly, you know, things start coming together in this really powerful way. And by the time that it finished, it really was like this kind of explosive, like, oh my God, I cannot believe he pulled this off just as a lover of books. Like, how did this author pull this off? It's amazing. Wow. Yeah. That's really intriguing. And it's short. Really? Yeah, it's short. It's readable. Like, it's really short considering the structure that I just described. Like, it's maybe a 350-page book, maybe. So that doesn't sound like it would lend itself to an audiobook necessarily because you might need to go back and figure out. Yeah, it was helpful to go back. But once you figure it out, the the books are just, the sections are distinct. So it's, I think a lot of books that alternate between narratives often grade the narratives together. So like one chapter is this, one chapter is this. But in this case, it was almost like four short volumes, just back to back in one book. That sounds amazing. I wonder whether the the title Trust isn't uh, something for the... uh for the reader as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it totally is because it's, I think it's partly about the financial like trust funds, but also, yeah, it's about a trustworthy um, narrator. It's about the trustworthiness of like culture and history and gossip. And what you realize is that the, and this is even on like the dust jacket is that first book that you read, which is a, you know, a little narrative novel about this couple it, you know, becomes the talk of the town in New York. And it, mm-hmm. and then everything that follows it is an attempt to understand that book in reality. Right, right. Well, I was, but also just that you sort of, as a reader, you have to just trust that the author is going to get you to a place where it makes sense. Right, right. Which honestly, that was, as I was reading it, I was not sure. Yeah. About that. And when it finally happened, it was like, oh my gosh. It makes me think of two things. It makes me think of uh, the TV show Lost, which to <laughs> my mind did not accomplish. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the trust, it did not live up to the trust that viewers put into it uh, in a lot of ways because things were left untied that were too fantastical and they didn't know what to do with, I guess. Right. Um, but the other thing it makes me think of is that movie by Kurosawa, listen to me, <laughs> all fancy cultured by Akira Kurosawa called um, Rashomon mm. movie in 1940s or 50s. Uh, I think it's about a rape and the different perspectives and literally the person, the man, the woman and a bystander have three completely different stories about what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see all three in succession. And I don't think there's a resolution. You have to sort of figure out. And I, that's, it's very interesting. Uh, I imagine that perspectives is a part of what this book is about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and whose story gets told and what power looks like when it comes to sort of creating a historical narrative, how that comes into play. Nice. Yeah, highly recommend. So I'm hopeful that I will see it at the end of the year on the Times list. It was published really early in 2022, so lots can happen, but I'm hopeful. You know, that's it. We've done our recommendations. That's our podcast. Yeah, Folks, how do you feel? How do you feel about audiobooks? I mean, I love-hate relationship. I mean, it's certainly, it, it's, it's, it's a convenient way to listen to books and certainly have books in your life while you're driving or doing chores around the house and such. So you kind of are in that bubble. Or do you lose something of the flavor of a book by not holding it and not reading or rereading passages uh, that you are interested in? So let us know, all of you who write us. Yeah, we want to know. 
popping callers podcast at gmail.com. That's right. You can also visit us on our website, which is popping collars And you can see all our episodes of all kinds. Uh, folks keep reading. I saw like a very compelling YouTube video once about the cumulative effect of reading for only 20 minutes a day. So if you really only read 20 minutes a day, you can read a lot. So I think when people are like, I don't have time to read, it's sort of like, it's like when I don't have time to pray the daily office. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I had time to watch three episodes of Pretty Little Liars, but I didn't have 20 <laughs> minutes for evening prayer. So that's how I always get my butt, you know, into my prayer corner. And I think the same is true for reading. So I do read a lot. Right, right, right. So don't, uh, you know, don't think of it as this monumental task, but just take a little bit of day and you'll, you'll get, you'll get yeah. some. A huge percentage of Americans, I can't remember how much, but it's a lot, never read another book after high school. And that's not a shameful thing. I think a lot of people want to read more and don't know where to begin or because of their experiences in school, they found reading to be like punishing because they didn't have a lot of choice and then they were tested on it. So my recommendation is just don't feel any shame about what you want to read, just pick something up and you start exercising that muscle. Absolutely. Let, let that be your gateway to more joy and experience in life. Yes. And I will recommend the Outlander series. If Yeah. Although you mentioned in a previous podcast uh, that it is not as racy in book form as it is. Here's a great story. You could keep this in the podcast, Greg. I said that about Outlander. And basically the Outlander books are really, really long. They're like over a thousand pages. So I will read sections of them between reading other books because they're just too long. I would never get through enough books. So I thought that. I thought this is not racy at all. I find myself on an airplane flying to general convention, seated next to a bishop of another diocese. He's not my bishop. Nice guy, you know, talking about the church. I'm like, oh, nice to talk to you. Open my Outlander book and am suddenly thrust into the middle of the raciest book I've read in my life. I mean, just, and I kept thinking, like, can he read over my shoulder? Like, I hope he can't see this. But so, anyway, I was wrong. It took about 150 pages and it changed gears. Wow. That's, um, <laughs> in the presence of a bishop. Well done. Exactly. It was a little mortifying, but then I just thought, well, what the hell? He doesn't know what I read. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think I could do that. It was a little embarrassing. <laughs> I have a similar story that for whatever reason, I was, I was, a, I was a priest and I was helping out in Ostapendieri at a church in Palo Alto. I gave some of my car keys to move my car. And on there happened to be, I think it was a, a different David Sedaris audiobook. And lo and behold, it was in one of the dirtiest parts. <laughs> and so they turned on the car and somehow it was all connected. And oh, it was a, it was a disc. It was actually a Your actual CD. Oh, no. And so, and so all this stuff. And then they gave you a kiss and they're like, what are you listening to? It's interesting. <laughs> As I turned red. Oh, oops. So... That happens, you know. It does. We're human beings, Liz. We have read books. We're human beings who read books. Exactly. All right. So, human beings out there, please go out and read a book. Uh, Maybe be careful who you're sitting next to or who (laughs) turns your car on. (laughs) 
And that is another episode of the PCBC, otherwise known as the Popping Collars Book Club. Thanks for joining us. And remember to always keep those collars popped. Pop, pop. I am giving you.